As I walk amongst these foundations, I see concrete into solid rock, firm and sound. I remember walking amongst the foundations of the old city of Corinth. Rubble, not so firm, not so solid and grounded. Yet Paul writes to the people in Corinth in his first letter to the Corinthians. And we learn what's good about the church. God has built for us a solid foundation, sound and firm. Jesus is the head of our church. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we all doing? Doing well? It's good to see you. Good to see your faces. Good to be the church. Good to be together this Sunday morning. We're in our series called Firmly Founded, Safely Grounded. And we're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. And this morning, we're going to continue on that theme. We're going to continue on talking about what does it look like for our lives to be firmly founded and for us to be safely grounded on the truth of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, our topic is what is good about grace. What is good about grace? And for me, and maybe for you, we've heard this story about grace so many times. So many times. We've heard the story about grace. We've heard about the gospel. We've heard about Jesus so many times. And sometimes it just rolls off our backs. As if we miss the meaning, the true meaning of what it really means for us today. So my prayer is maybe you're like this guy today. My first time fully grasping how amazing the gospel is. Wow, how good is it? And hopefully today you're like this person. My 947th time fully grasping how amazing the gospel truly is. So maybe this is the first time this morning you're going to hear about the concept of grace and God's grace towards you, but maybe this is the thousandth time you've heard it. I want to challenge you this morning to really hear it for the first time, to really imagine what this actually means for your life today, what it means for your tomorrow. What does it mean, this amazing gift of grace that God is giving you? What is good about grace? Let me pray for us this morning as we're going to open God's Word together. Thank you, Father, that you love us so, so much. And Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's so powerful. And Lord, that it shapes us, it transforms us, it equips us. It sends us, Father, to where you have called us to be. Thank you, Lord, that this morning we can know if we believe in you, Lord Jesus, that we can have life in you and have an abundant life in you. And we can know the promises that one day we will have an eternal relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, for your promises that are true for us today. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 4. Just open your Bibles or if you have a, a, a phone uh, and you have your Bible app on there. But otherwise it's on the screen as well. So let's read this five verses together in Paul's letter to the Corinthian, to the Corinthian church. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. 
For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning, I think it's important for us to understand the context of these five verses. How do they fit into the book of 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul was writing? How does it fit in? Well, I guess last week, Pastor Gary started and talked about what is good about the church. And he talked about the first three verses where where Paul says, You are to those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people. Firstly, Paul is actually saying, building a foundation, saying, You are God's people. You have been chosen by Him. You have been sanctified by Him. You are His people. That's who you are. You are the church. But I guess Paul here is writing to these people that he spent about a year and a half with ministering to. He spent an awful lot of time with these people and establishing the church in Corinth. But then as Paul went away, he heard these stories about believers not actually following the the belief that they had. They say they believed in Christ, but their actions did not reflect that. So Paul's building a foundation. He's building them an understanding of, hey, remember the faith that you have. And then he's going to challenge them as we see further on in 1 Corinthians. He challenges them on how they actually live. And he talks about the divisions they have in the church, the sexual behaviors they have, the food situation, what's happening, how they gather together. And some of them stopped actually believing that Christ Jesus was resurrected. So he's building a foundation, helping them to see who they are in Christ. That's what we looked at last week. Who are we in Christ? We're God's holy people. And today we're going to look at, well, why? How is that even possible? We're going to look at grace. It's only possible through Jesus himself. So let's look at these verses a bit more in detail. There's so much in it, five verses, but it's jam-packed with so much for us today, I believe. Verse 4, it says, I thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. That word given. It's not something you can earn. Grace is not something you can earn. You can't be good enough to receive grace. It's not something you've done. It's something that Jesus did for you by dying on the cross. That's amazing, isn't it? See, the first thing that's good about grace, it reminds us that God is the provider. See, this, this gift of grace is a free gift to you. It's generous, it's free, it's totally unexpected, and it's undeserved. It is by grace that you have been saved. You're unable to earn it. And in Ephesians 2, Paul talks about this concept. He talks about the concept of being made alive in Christ. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So once you were a dead person, and because of what Jesus did, you can become alive in Christ by believing in what Jesus did for you on the cross. 
Once you were dead, now you can become alive in Christ. But as I was thinking about this concept and I thought about my own life, I was really challenged and I thought to myself, well, why do we still end up living like dead people? Like, let's get serious about it. Why do we say we believe in Christ Jesus, but then we live like dead people? This is what Paul was challenging the Corinthians on. See, dead people means that we live in our old nature, our sinful nature, before we have followed Christ, understood what that really meant for us. But Paul talks about we've been made alive in Christ. So why do we keep on living like dead people? In Galatians, Paul talks about this concept. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. When we know we have salvation, we've found this amazing gift of grace and we understand it for our lives. Why do we not live on that truth? On that foundation that God has set for us. And I guess that's the second thing that for me that's good about grace. Grace reminds us that we actually have a problem. We have a problem. It's not a problem we can actually solve ourselves. You see, because God is the provider. He is the one who bestows grace on us. A free gift of salvation for those that believe in Him. And the problem is that we are sinful, broken people. And it doesn't take long for us to look outside of this church building, to look at our world today and to see the brokenness and the hurt and the sin that is running rampant, the evil that is running rampant in our world. See, that wasn't God's plan. And we know from thinking about the fall and what happened early in Genesis, we see God's plan was for us to be in perfect relationship with Him. But because of man's disobedience and us turning our faces away from God, see, that's not the reality that we're living in today. We have a problem, church. The only solution to that problem is Jesus, His grace. So firstly, why do we then live like dead people if we know the truth? Well, firstly, we are weak. We are weak in our sinfulness. And Hebrews, who talks about this concept, we are so easily entangled by sin. It entangles us in every facet of our lives. And secondly, I think we've, We've kind of robbed the idea of our faith by, in a sense, cheapening it to just a ticket to heaven. See, if, if salvation was only a ticket to heaven where you will go one day, that doesn't mean anything for this life now and for your tomorrow. Is that all that this life is about? It's about saying the sinner's prayer once and knowing, oh, I'm saved now, so now I have a ticket in heaven for when I die. No, Jesus actually didn't promise you an average life. He promised you an abundant life, a life where you find freedom and hope and meaning and purpose in Him. So let's stop chasing after the wind, after meaningful things, materialistic things, things that you can only have temporarily in this life. See, verse 5, Paul talks about this concept. He says in verse 5, For in Him you have been enriched in every way. Not one day when you go to heaven, enriched in every way now. You have been enriched now by God's grace. For this life you have to live in Him now. 
The way that we've been enriched, it's by His grace. We've been given gifts, it says. In verse 6, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, do not lack in any spiritual gift. You see, we, if we become followers of Jesus and we allow that grace to soak into our hearts and our lives, and we actually allow that grace to shine onto others, then it becomes a testimony to who God is. Our lives become glorifying to God. And we allow Christ to live and work through us. See, that is our purpose as humans, is to bring honor and glory and to worship God, to recognize Him as the creator of all things. These gifts that He's given us, these abilities He's given us, it's all for His glory. In verse 7, we will not lack any gift if we desire to serve and honor God. God will enrich us in every way. How amazing is that? See, this is the beautiful reality of our faith. That when we become a follower of Jesus, actually our eternal relationship with God starts then. So if you've already been a follower of Jesus, your eternal relationship with God continues today. See, nothing can separate you from God's love if you're in Christ Jesus. So your eternal relationship, your relationship that will last forever has already started if you're a follower of Jesus. It's not something you reach when you get to heaven. The relationship can't end, so it's already eternal. How amazing is that promise? See, there is a a purpose to this grace. So what is good about grace? There is purpose in grace. Because you've been saved by grace, Now you should receive that gift, but also share that gift with others. For every man in the room, it's kind of like receiving a Weber. I received a Weber. And the first thing I wanted to do is, who can I cook a barbecue for? It wasn't going to be much fun if I cooked that barbecue for myself. Actually sharing that gift with others is so much more amazing. But why do we do it with grace? Why do we hold it to ourselves? Why don't we share the gift of grace? If that's the most precious gift, why don't we share that with others? Invite others in to receive that grace for themselves. See, grace isn't just for you. It's for everyone. This is what Dallas Willard, a very well-known theologian, said about grace. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. The idea that we can earn it ourselves Effort is action, living out that grace. Earning is attitude. You've never, you have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. Because it's only by God's strength, right? Paul, who perhaps under, understood grace better than any other mere human being, looked back, back at what had happened to him and said, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me do not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You see, we we read these writings of Paul and we think, oh, Paul, what a great man, what a great man of God, what a great theologian. It wasn't Paul, it was God that used him. So imagine yourself sitting in prison for most of your ministry, and you're thinking, my ministry is gone. 
And you start writing letters because it's the only thing you can do in a way you can communicate with people. And then all of a sudden, your letters become part of the Bible that we still read for centuries and centuries and centuries. See, God's plan, it wasn't Paul's plan. It was God's plan, God's purpose, by God's grace. So see, we've been saved for a purpose. So what is good about grace? The final thing we're going to look at this morning What is good about grace is it's God's promise to us. And this passage, Paul says it so, so well. In verse 8, he says, He who is God himself will keep you firm to the end so you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What a promise. He will keep you firm to the end. Wow. Our foundation, Jesus, He is firm. He is firm. He is the cornerstone. He is the rock. And I want us to reflect this morning, like what are you building your life on? What are your foundations? Are you actually building it on the firm foundation, Jesus Christ? See, if we continue in our faith, we won't be like the Corinthians who's lost sight of that rock, that foundation. There's this promise in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will carry it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God who began a work in your life, who transformed your life, will continue to work in you and through you if you remain on that foundation, that firm foundation, Jesus Christ. In verse 9, we see that promise that God is faithful. God is faithful till the end. And it's through Him that we have fellowship. We have this beautiful relationship with God and with Jesus because of what God did through His Son, Jesus So if grace is truly so good, right? If grace is all these things, it reminds us that God is the provider who gives life, who gives meaning, who gives you purpose. And if grace is so good, it reminds us we actually have a problem we can't solve. And that God is the answer to that problem. And through Jesus is the answer. And that then because of grace, we have purpose in our lives. We actually have meaning. We have something we can, we can continue to strive to work towards in God. Making Him our foundation and allowing Him to shine through us. And then there is this eternal promise. Eternal prize that can't be spoiled, it can't fade away. Something that we have in Christ Jesus. A promise, an eternal promise. But if it's so, so, so good... Why do we trample on it? Why do we trample on this free gift that God has given us? Why do we sing songs on Sunday and live a different life on Monday? If it is truly such an amazing gift in your life, this really really challenged me because I started thinking about, well, if grace is truly such a big gift for me, and I should live in thanksgiving towards God because of it. I was thinking, well, what is the best thing in my life outside of God? 
what is the best thing you have? Just think about it for a moment. What is the best thing in my life that I have? What truly matters the most to me outside of God? It's probably not a materialistic thing, is it? Probably not something you own. It's probably not your car. Maybe it is. But it's probably someone, right? Someone that's really meaningful to you. Could be your wife, could be your husband, one of your children, or all your children. All my children. But it's kind of like taking this best thing in your life, the thing that's more valuable to you than gold, and trampling on it. Like it's, it's, it's a bit crude to think about it that way. But it's like taking the best thing that God's ever, ever given you, the best gift you have in your life outside of God, and just trample on it as if it means nothing to you. And I catch myself doing that all the time with grace. The grace, grace, the gift that Jesus gave me, a life in him, saved from my own brokenness and sin, and I trample on it. Sometimes discarded as it doesn't mean much to me. That's the idea that Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about, the idea of cheap grace. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Oh, something I've earned, something I, I can take for myself. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Oh God, you'll forgive me, but I don't really have to turn around. I don't have to change my life. Baptism without church discipline. Oh, I want to be part of this church, but I, I can live and I can do whatever I want. Church can't tell me what to do. Communion without confession. Reminding us that Jesus' blood and his body was broken for us but we don't actually confess that we are sinful and broken people too. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross in the first place. It's because of our brokenness and our sin. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, without following Jesus. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Cheap grace is grace without Jesus, without making Jesus your firm foundation. So what do we do? What do we do this morning? What do we do in response to what we've heard? What do we do in response to what Paul is writing in his letter to the Corinthians and to us today? Well, firstly, we have to wake up, church. We have to wake up to ourselves. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians 5. But everything exposed by the light. So talking about dark things, evil things in the world, evil things in your life, the sin in your life. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So everything that was once in darkness, the sinfulness in your life, that you bring forward, you share with someone else, or you bring it to God, that very thing actually becomes illuminated. The light who is God shines on it. And that thing, that sinful thing, was once hidden, now becomes a light and becomes glory to God. This is why it said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Wake up. Rise from your slumber. 
Be reminded that God wants to shine through you, wants to, you to live by that grace and actually share that message of grace to others. In verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Are we living as wise people this morning, making the most of every opportunity to share God's love because the days are evil? So firstly, we need to wake up, repent, humble ourselves, Acknowledge again who we are before God. He is the creator. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. We are not. We are in need of Him. And secondly, we need to reflect. What is your house built on? What is your life built on? Is it built on a firm foundation? Is it firmly founded and safely grounded in Jesus? Or is your foundations like the sand, shifting and moving Are you living as a wise person, building your house on Jesus Christ, the rock himself? So this morning, I actually want us to think about that and write it down. This then becomes really real, doesn't it? So actually write it down on your phone, write it down in your mind, but write it down so you can reflect on it and think about it. What areas of my life have I not given over to God? In what ways am I trampling on grace and not living as God actually wants me to live? How can I wake up to my own sinfulness and brokenness and again acknowledge my need for God? Let's spend some time just reflecting on that. My challenge is if you've written something down and you have something on your heart that you know that's not of God, I want you to share that with somebody. Take courage in actually sharing that with somebody. Because like we read before, when you let let that thing come into the light, it actually becomes glorifying to God. The sin in your life can sometimes, when we reveal it, be so powerful that it actually allows other people to share their sin and their brokenness too. And all of that together can become glorifying to God. But when sin stays in secret, it causes more damage. So we need to reflect, what is your house built on? And thirdly, I want us to take heart this morning. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. See, we heard this morning there's a promise. Grace gives us a promise, an eternal promise. Jesus says himself, come to me, all who are weary and struggling. If you are burdened this morning, Jesus invites you, come to me. The scripture says, when we are weak, then God is strong. When we realize our weakness, then God can actually strongly work in our lives. See, we need to remember our weakness and our need to surrender. And then take heart, because then when we wake up, he will shine in you. God will do an amazing work in your life. And you yourself can become a gift to others, not because of you, no, but because of God shining through you, bringing light into dark places. I'm going to invite the music team up. But I also want to invite you this morning, if, if there's something you wanted to really seek prayer for, we have a prayer corner at the back of the church and some of our elders and other leaders will be there to pray with you. 
If you want to share something that's burdening you, that's that's you're struggling with, I want you to bring that into the light. Let's be challenged on how we live out of this free gift of grace that we've received today. Let's care for one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's love one another today.